0: Oh, Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Wednesday night Equip and Disciple Service. Uh, Right now is the time we prepare our hearts for tithes and offerings. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all things. Acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Trust is a difficult thing in certain situations. I remember yada yada years ago, I used to be the youth leader here at New Hope Church, and uh, we did that, you know, that one trust exercise where you stand up on the ladder, and then you just kind of fall backwards, and you hope the guy's going to catch you, so I did that one Friday night, and I asked I was fortunate. I had some big, strong brothers, leaders in my group. So I asked uh, DJ and Chris Craig, big brothers. I think it was Pastor Ben, too, maybe I asked, and this other guy named Little. And those guys, you know, they they locked arms. And I climbed up to the the last step, the highest step on the ladder, which is seven, eight feet high. And I got to admit, it was hard for me to just let go and trust these guys that they would catch me. But I finally did, and they caught me all right. But then those clowns and throw me up in the air like six feet twice in a row, you know? And I was like, oh, I can trust them for catch me, but I'm not gonna trust them anymore. But trust is a difficult thing. And when it comes to uh, giving of our finances, isn't that an area that boy it's it's kind of hard yeah it's, it is difficult and i get it that it that is something that we must work on to trust god in now for for all of us yeah we in the the scripture says that in all things we must trust in the lord in, including our finances So right now, let us pray for this offering. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, uh, for what you have done on the cross and for who you are. So right now, Lord God, we ask that you would take this offering, these tithes and offering, Use it, multiply it to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. We thank you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would open up our hearts, Lord, to receive your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight we are finally wrapping up the entire Bible, 66 books. This is the second part of Revelation. Uh, Pastor Sheldon will be bringing the word. Let us enjoy this video. The Revelation
1: of Jesus Given to John the Prophet In the first video, we explored how John composed this apocalyptic prophecy as a circular letter to seven churches in Asia Minor to challenge and comfort these Christians who were suffering from apathy and persecution under the Roman Empire. We also encountered John's main symbol for Jesus, the slain lamb, who conquered his enemies by dying for them. He is the one who opens up the scroll containing God's purposes to bring his kingdom on earth as in heaven. The scroll's opening brought warning judgments like the plagues of Egypt. And like Pharaoh, the nations do not repent. And then John introduced the multi-ethnic army of the Lamb. And the open scroll revealed their strange mission. It's to follow the Lamb by bearing witness to God's justice and mercy before the beastly nations, even if it kills them. And they will conquer the beast by laying down their lives just like the Lamb. And this will move the nations to repentance. In the remainder of the book, John will fill out his portrayal of this beast and his war on God's people and how the whole story ends. After the seven trumpets, John stops the drumbeat of sevens with a series of visions that he calls signs. The word literally means symbols and these chapters are full of them. These visions explore the message of the open scroll in greater depth. The first one reveals the cosmic spiritual battle that lay behind the suffering of the seven churches under Roman persecution. It is a manifestation of that ancient conflict that began in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent, who represents the source of all evil, is depicted here as a dragon. It attacks a woman and her seed. They represent the Messiah and his people. Then the Messiah defeats the dragon through his death and resurrection and it is cast to earth. There the dragon inspires hatred and persecution of the Messiah's people. But they will conquer the dragon by resisting his influence even if it kills them. John's trying to show the churches that neither Rome nor any other nation or human is the real enemy. There are dark spiritual powers at work. And Jesus' followers will announce Jesus' victory by remaining faithful and loving their enemies just like the slain lamb. John's next vision retells the story of the same conflict, but this time in the earthly symbolism of Daniel's animal visions. John sees two beasts empowered by the dragon. One of them represents national military power that conquers through violence. The other beast symbolizes the economic propaganda machine that exalts this power as divine. And These beasts demand full allegiance from the nations and that's symbolized by taking the mark of the beast and his number 666 on the forehead or hand. Now, this is an infamous image and you won't discover its meaning by reading news headlines. John's making a clear Hebrew Old Testament reference here. First of all, this mark is the anti-shema. The writing on the forehead and hand, it's a clear reference to the Shema, an ancient Jewish prayer of allegiance to God that's found in the book of Deuteronomy. This prayer also was written on the forehead and hand as a symbol of devoting all your thoughts and actions to the one true God. But now the rebellious nations demand their own allegiance and they force everyone to decide who they will follow. Then there is the number of the beast which has fascinated readers for thousands of years. But this was not a mystery to John. He spoke Hebrew and Greek and Hebrew letters were also numbers. If you spell the Greek words Nero Caesar and the word beast in Hebrew, each one amounts to 666. Now. John isn't saying that Nero was the only fulfillment of this vision. Nero's just a recent example of the ancient pattern set out by Daniel. That the nations become beasts when they exalt their own power and economic security as a false god and then demand total allegiance. So Babylon was the beast in Daniel's day, but that was followed by Persia, followed by Greece, and now Rome in John's day. And so it goes for any later nation that acts in the same way. Standing opposed to the beastly nations and the dragon is another king. It's the slain lamb. He's with his army who have given their lives to follow him. And from the new Jerusalem their song of victory goes out to the nations in what John calls the eternal gospel. And they call everyone to repent and to worship God and to come out of Babylon that will fall. Its days are numbered. Then John sees a vision of final judgment. It's symbolized by two harvests. One is a good harvest of grain. As King Jesus Jesus comes to gather up his faithful people to himself. The other is a harvest of wine grapes. It represents humanity's intoxication with evil. They're taken to the wine press and trampled. Now, throughout all these sign visions, John is placing a stark choice before the seven churches. Will they resist the lure of Babylon and follow the lamb? Or will they follow the beast and suffer its defeat? Now that the choice is clear, John replays a final cycle of seven divine judgments, symbolized as pouring out seven bowls. Now we know from the Lamb's scroll and from the sign visions that many among the nations do repent. But as the Exodus plagues are repeated and poured out through the bowls, there are many people who do not repent. They resist and curse God just like Pharaoh. And so it all leads up to the sixth bowl. As the dragon and the beasts, they gather the nations together to make war against God's people in a place called Armageddon. This refers to a plain in northern Israel where many battles were fought by Israel against invading nations. And some people think that this sixth bowl refers to an actual future battle. Other people think that it's a metaphor for God's final justice on evil. Either way, John's clearly taken images from the book of Ezekiel about God's battle with Gog. Gog was Ezekiel's symbol of the rebellious nations gathered before God to face his justice. And that's what comes in the seventh bowl. It's the fourth and final depiction of the day of the Lord when evil is defeated among the nations once and for all. Now, John has fully unpacked the message of the Lamb's unsealed scroll. And now he goes back to expand on three key themes that he's introduced earlier. The fall of Babylon... The final battle to defeat evil, and the arrival of the new Jerusalem. And each one of these explores the final coming of God's kingdom from a different angle. So first, the fall of Babylon. An angel shows John a stunning woman who's dressed like a queen, but she's drunk with the blood of the martyrs and of all innocent people. She's riding the dragon beast from the sign visions. It's a symbol of the rebellious nations. And she's called Babylon, the prostitute. Now, the detailed symbols of this vision, they would be very clear to John's first readers. He's personifying the military and economic power of the Roman Empire, but he's also doing more. In this vision, John has blended together words and images from every single Old Testament passage about the downfall of ancient Babylon, Tyre, and Edom. John's showing how Rome is simply the newest version of the Old Testament archetype of humanity in rebellion against God. They come together and form nations that exalt their own economic and military security into a false god. This isn't something limited to the past, or the future it is a portrait of the human condition throughout history and Babylon's will come and go leading up to the day when Jesus returns to replace Babylon with his kingdom but how will Jesus's kingdom come? Up to this point, the day of the Lord has been depicted as a day of fire or earthquake or harvest. And now it's depicted as a final battle and it's told twice. It results in the vindication of the martyrs. Now John takes us back to the sixth bowl where the nations were gathered together to oppose God. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He's the great hero. He's the word of God riding on a white horse and he's ready to conquer the world's evil. But pay attention, he's covered with blood before the battle even begins, and that's because it's his own. And his only weapon is the sword of his mouth. It's an image adapted from Isaiah. John's telling us that Armageddon will not be a bloodbath. Rather, the same Jesus who shed his own blood for his enemies now comes proclaiming justice. He will hold accountable those who refuse to repent of the ways that they participate in the ruin of God's good world. And the destructive hellfire that they've unleashed in God's world justly becomes their own God-appointed destiny. After this, John sees a vision of Jesus' followers who have been murdered by Babylon and they're brought back to life and they reign with the Messiah for 1,000 years. Then after this, the dragon who inspired humanity's rebellion against God rallies the nations of the world together to rebel against God's kingdom. But before God's throne of justice, they all face the consequences of eternal defeat. And so the forces of spiritual evil and everyone who doesn't want to participate in God's kingdom are destroyed. They're given what they want to exist by themselves and for themselves. And so the dragon and Babylon and all who choose them are eternally quarantined, never again able to corrupt God's new creation. Now, there's a lot of debate about the relationship of the 1,000 years to these two battles. There are some who think it refers to a literal chronological sequence. Jesus' return, followed by a 1,000-year kingdom on earth called the Millennium, followed by God's final judgment. Other people think that the 1,000 years are a symbol of Jesus' and the martyrs' present victory over spiritual evil, and that the two battles depict Jesus' future return from two different angles. Whichever view you take, the main point is clear. When Jesus returns as king, he will deal with evil forever, and he'll vindicate those who have been faithful to him. The book concludes with a final vision of the marriage of heaven and earth. An angel shows John a stunning bride that symbolizes the new creation that has come forever to join God and his covenant people. God announces that he's come to live with humanity forever and that he's making all things new. John's vision here is a kaleidoscope of Old Testament promises. This place is a new heavens and earth, a restored creation that's healed of the pain and evil of human history. It's also a Garden of Eden, the paradise of eternal life with God. But it's not simply a return back to the garden, it's a step forward into a new Jerusalem, a great city where human cultures and all their diversity work together in peace and harmony before God. And in the most surprising twist of all, there's no temple building in the new creation, because the presence of God and the Lamb that were once limited to the temple now permeate every square inch of the new world. And there's a new humanity there, fulfilling the calling placed on them all the way back on page one of the Bible to rule as God's image, to partner together with God in taking this creation into new and uncharted territory. And so ends John's apocalypse and the epic storyline of the whole Bible. John did not write this book as a secret code for you to decipher the timetable of Jesus' return. It's a symbolic vision that brought hope and challenge to the seven first century churches and every generation of Christians since. It reveals history's pattern and God's promise that every human kingdom eventually becomes Babylon and must be resisted in the power of the slain lamb. But there's a promise that Jesus, who loved and died for this world, will not let Babylon go unchecked. He will return one day to remove evil from his good world and make all things new. And that is a promise that should motivate faithfulness in every generation of God's people until the king returns. That's what the book of Revelation is all about.
2: And if you've been joining us throughout the entire Bible and you've been journeying with us, we are on the final, final uh, uh, night on this entire series. So give yourself a hand if you've been with us for over a year. It's been good. And what I love about this part of, of the book of Revelation is it, it really clarifies what the book of Revelation is all about, that it's Jesus being revealed. Because we've grown up with so many different perspectives of the book of Revelation, We've grown up with different movies that will use the book of Revelation as Hollywood uh, would do their very best to, to, to portray their perspective on the book of Revelation. So we have all these different views of this letter that John was writing while he was in prison and exiled on the island of Patmos. So when you're writing a letter and you're in exile, you're in prison, there's no hope left. You're in prison. The only hope John found was Jesus revealing himself. Our prayer tonight is that Jesus would reveal himself to you also. Even though you may feel like, well, I'm far from God, I'm distant from God, you might be close to him. Maybe you feel that this is the closest you've ever been to Jesus Christ. What matters mostly in everything that we go through is that Jesus is revealed in everything that we go through. So tonight let's put on our, um, our kind of like the, getting ready to, to cross through the finish line as we enter in the final chapter of this wonderful book called the Bible. And we are on part two of Jesus Revealed. So last week we looked at the first part of Revelation, and now we're going to look at the second part. And this, this book uses Old Testament symbols, and as the video was saying, it uses imagery It uses a lot of patterns to review humanity and our rebellion and rebellious heart toward God. And all that we do and all that we've done continuously shows that we have something inside of us that pulls us away from God, not ushers us nearer. We have to choose to draw near to God. And his promise is that he will draw near to us when we do that. In the second half of the book of Revelation, these prophecies that, that are given, and as John writes down these things, as well as not write down some things. Because there are some things that the angel of the Lord said, or the angel said to John, don't write these things. And John just had to keep it to himself. But it, it comes to the, to the point of understanding that there was a Savior who died for us? In the book of Revelation, it explains that the Lamb who was slain. So, this Lamb who was slain is going to be returning to this world as the King of all kings, no longer on the cross, but risen from the grave, ascended into heaven, and sat down at the right hand of God, and then will come back to capture his people, to bring his people. His bride, as we're called, the church, home with him, as he said, where I will be, you will be with me forever. And we know it as heaven That's the place we're going to end up Now when we read the book of Revelation And we go through the scriptures There are strange you know, things that are happening Things that, that we're trying to piece together And uh, strange missions that are taking place uh, You see the scrolls that are being unsealed The trumpets that are being blown You see destruction, uh, judgment And that's why the book of Revelation Can become overwhelming Because we see a lot of atrocities And a lot of uh, difficulties and, and almost like darkness and weird things happening. And you can almost picture what it would look like because in today's movies, we have CGI, computer generated imagery or images that can put up whatever you would want it to be. So if you just recently watched, I think it was, was it Kong versus Godzilla or something like that, right? The two, the two beasts. I'm watching this and I'm thinking, that looks so much better than what we grew up with, you know. God, like this this rubber doll, and so the, the the computer imagery is so good. In fact, we have software programs that can imitate and uh, make you look like a person, an individual. And uh, I forget what it was called. There's a it's like an identity thing. What is it called? There's a. Uh, Like fake, it's called something, right? Fake. What is it? No, yeah, there's, there's, but it's called um, deep fake. So where anybody can look like anybody, and if if you're not careful, somebody can make you look, or they can look like you and do whatever they want and post it on social media, which has happened, and that person uh, gets into trouble. Well, that actually happened, but they found out that that video was a deep fake. And then the person that posted it, they got in deep trouble. So it's just where we are with technology. Well, what the book of Revelation does is it says kind of like, don't follow all the deceptive things that are happening in the world because that's going to happen. That's why Jesus gave the greatest vision ever given to mankind. And it was simply, come follow me. It was just that simple. So when we come to the book of Revelation, come to the book of Revelation following Jesus. Not all the things that we may may have grown up with or what we see on social media or what we look up on Wikipedia or the things that we we, we gravitate towards because it makes us feel good or even, you know, different prophecies, as it were, that... Pull you away from following Jesus Prophecy should always Bring you closer to Christ Not push you away The Bible tells us In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 And here's why we battle With all of these things It says that we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So when we hear, you know, mark of the beast, or uh, the nation will rise against nation, or you have 10 kings and uh, nations who act as beasts, it can become a scary thing. And again, Hollywood will always depict these things as scary. It'll it, because it sells, right? It's 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 much better if it's a it's a little bit more intense if it's if it's a little bit more uh, like oh man that's 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 emotionally traumatic and it draws us in versus like you don't see any 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 like nice uh, uh, sounding scary person um, unless they're like creepy in the movies. But, you, like, normally when there's, the, like, the mark of the beast, the 666, it's always some, some, like, some dude with, like, just, like, beady eyes and, like, maybe some disheveled hair and, like, just one eyeball popping through and, and he just stares at you, like... <sighs> And, and so it's, it's, not, it's not like some guy with a nice suit and tie like, hey man, I'm the mark of the beast and uh, I want to uh, show you what it's going to be like uh, without God. There's, there's nobody that shows up in a nice suit and tie with a nice car and pulls up and acts nice to you, pulls out your chair and, and serves you dinner. It's always some scary thing, some, something that looks wicked and some dark, dark spirit that they're trying to portray. So by the time we get to the book of Revelation and we read all these beasts coming up of the sea, we're picturing coming out of the ocean and like tar all mixed up and eyeball popping out and blood shooting on fire shooting on horns and all of these sounds and all of these effects coming at us at one time. And so when we read, we're thinking, like, what kind of book is this? This is Jesus being revealed? It's almost like Jesus pulls back the curtains and says, Oh, you're not following me. Because that's not what I'm trying to show you. I want to show you who I am. That's why it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of Hollywood, revelation of some dark, scary scene. It's the revelation of Yeshua, the Son of God, the Savior. The book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, should give us hope, not despair. Should give us light, not darkness. Should show us the way, not lose us. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we approach the book of Revelation differently than how the world would want us to approach it. You know, when we look at our world right now, fighting in the Middle East. I mean, there are rockets just... Bombarding Israel right now. I, I, I was on a prayer uh, this past week with some friends who are in Israel, and they j- j- just had a, a prayer, and I jumped on, and this was from our Israel focus group that I, I was able to meet these two people, and when I jumped on, I said, hey, can I also pray? And I'm in Hawaii. They're like, oh, yeah, Absolutely. And when I jumped on, I, I, basically what I said is, hey guys, I just want to let you know that while you're in Israel, and there are other people around the world, I said, I am in Hawaii. The f- we are the farthest that you can go from Israel until you start coming back around. And collectively, we are covering the nation of Israel in prayer globally. Because of what's happening right now and what the Bible promises where it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and those who love you, that they will be secure? Why not? If God says that this is his, his chosen people to represent him in the world, then why wouldn't we do our very best to ask for God's protection and his blessing? over the people that he would use to represent him to the world. So continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As we enter into this final chapter of the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's by no mistake that there's also the end times feel of it, But with the end times, now remember when it says end times, sometimes we stop there and it's all about end times. Even people who do end times, like they wear signs and and God bless them because they're doing exactly what God wants them to do. If if they they feel they're hearing the Lord, but very rarely will I see someone who is saying, you know, the end is near and and, uh, it's received well. Sometimes there are people passing by and they're like turning away from that. Like, I don't want to hear about end times. Well, here's the hope. And this is what the revelation of Jesus Christ brings. If there is an end time here, then automatically there is a new beginning there. End times shouldn't scare us. It shouldn't scare us at all. It's, it's the anticipation of a new beginning with Jesus Christ and all of those who said yes to him. Our loved ones. Our, our ancestors. Uh, those who we have never met around the world. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Jesus revealing himself brings hope to everyone. Even when we see things Going south in our own nation, or things not working out together for what we want it to be in our own nation, our own country, our own our own state or county, but Jesus is still revealing Himself, and whatever is happening in wherever you are from, wherever you're, 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 wherever you live, whatever is happening there, Jesus will still reveal Himself. He is still giving hope to a world that is in need of a Savior. So when he shows us that we are a frail people, whether it's, you know, we, we, we see, you know, protests that take place, uh, differences in, in a political stance or beliefs, uh, whenever there is constant, like, cyber attacks on America or wherever else they're, they're getting hit, we see that Jesus is above all of that. He brings us hope beyond a cyber attack. And one happened in, where was it? There was a, a gas pipeline, right? And then there are certain cities that did not have gasoline. And then gas prices started to shoot up, or was it, actually it was going up before that. So, and, and a lot of times it's easy for us to just pinpoint one thing that, oh, it's because this happened, that's why these things are happening. No, a lot more is going to happen, as the Bible even says as Jesus reveals himself. If you get an opportunity, read the entire book of Revelation. If you are doing your devotions with us, we read the book of Re- Revelations twice throughout the entire year. And we'll come across it and we'll read it. But what it does is it, it lets us get a better understanding of who Jesus is in a, in a, in a world that is filled with evil, constant threats of terrorism, uh, constant... Um, you know, us being on the lookout for a new virus or a new disease that we have to be careful of. I mean, I'm sure this one woke everybody up. And wherever, whatever, your, whatever side you're on with, you know, um, your beliefs in uh, what's, what's behind all of this and, and, and viruses and all of that, it still comes down to what Jesus says and if we're following him. So then the question is what is the hope? What hope do we have? Well, this is God's word. This is what brings us hope. This is hope eternal. It's not a book we read and then it's a temporary feel-good. Like, ugh. That feels good. No, this is this is hope eternal. That's why Revelation six nine says, "When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. Every single person has a testimony. Every single person has a testimony. Even people yet to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Every single person has a testimony. You have a testimony." And you might be thinking, but I don't know Jesus yet. But you still have a testimony. It's your story of what God is doing in your life. John uses many past events to describe the future condition of the human heart. He doesn't just stay in the past. He brings things up, but then he brings it up so that he can now show, okay, here's the condition of the human heart. And what's the solution? Following Jesus to the very end. He even writes down in Revelation 12, 10, and 11, John writes, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, Christ meaning anointed one, chosen one, for the accuser of our brothers, who is Satan, and sisters has been thrown down to earth the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Notice that he can only accuse. He can't make you choose. So for those who have said the devil made me do it, he can only accuse, but he cannot make you choose. And they have defeated him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb which is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, shedding his blood for you and I, and by their testimony, the story of our life with God. See, no one can take away your testimony. They they can debate you about the word of God and and come at you with with, uh, scientific reasoning, theology, doctrine. They can bring all of that to you, and you might not even understand a single thing about the Bible, the word of God, yet. Yet. And they can say, how can you believe in God? You know, it says this, and why is this happening in the world? If he loved us, we wouldn't go through this. And your simple story is, I don't know. I I was blind, but now I can see. I was lost. Now I'm found. I felt devalued. Now I feel valued. All I know is what God did for me. I don't know about all those other things. I'm not that great at at scriptures or, or defining certain things, but I can tell you this, my story is real. This is what he has done for me. This is my testimony. And you know what the devil can't do with that? He can't take your testimony and throw it away. He has no authority over your story. Zero. It's your story. It's God's personal story that he is writing with you. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, and he puts his seal of approval on our story with his own blood. That's the power he gives to us in this story. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. I remember watching a movie. It's, uh, I think it's the second Jumanji. You know, there's the first one with Robin Williams and then the second one with uh, Dwayne Johnson and and, and Kevin Hart and uh, Jack Black and some other dudes uh, and dudettes. And, and I just remember this one scene where, where uh, Dr. Smolder Bravestone, he, ha- he, has to, he has to like finish the, the adventure. He has to finish the assignment. And they have these lives uh, that, and these tattoos that show their lives. Well, he's on his last life in the, you know, he's in the game. And he now has to figure out another plan because he just lost a life. Now he has one left and he's, he's starting to freak out and his character, Dr. Bravestone, is, is freaking out and, and then he calls his friend on the side and this is uh, Moose Finbar, which is played by Kevin Hart and Dr. Bravestone is Dwayne Johnson. So he brings, he brings uh, Moose Finbar on the side and he says, I, I, I can't do this and, and Finbar says, what are you talking about, man? He says, I can't do this this he says what, what do you mean he says who am I kidding I'm no, I'm no adventurer I'm not some adventurous guy I'm not actually brave and Moose Finbar says Spencer which is his you know non game name he says I saw you hanging out at a helicopter and Bravestone says it's a lot easier to be brave when you have lives to spare it's a lot harder when you only have one and Finbar responds he says we, we only have one life man that, that's all we get that's how it works and then he says the question is is how are you going to live it? What guy are you going to decide to be? You only have one life. How are you going to live it? Are you going to live it with Jesus revealed or the world falling apart? The devil can only accuse, but he cannot make you choose. It was Mark Twain who said there are two most important days of one's life. The day you were born and the day you find out why you were born. May Jesus reveal himself to you tonight. If you don't know why you were born, Let him reveal himself to you. Many use their life for a cause, a movement, to protest, to help others, to seek justice. When Jesus reveals himself, he also shows that there will be a final justice. Or the seven bowls of judgment. There's going to be justice. There's a place in Israel that we visited. It's called Megiddo. And there's an open plain that is known as Armageddon. And that area, they believe that that's where the final battle is going to take place in the end. Because there are a lot of battles that did take place there. And we don't know what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. But we do know that there, is, there are two places that God gives us an option for. Heaven and hell. Now, none of us can judge who's going where. But the Bible does say that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So, it's a heart issue, not a behavioral issue. And even for those that maybe they've never heard the name of Jesus Christ, you know, what happens to those people? And there are so many different theories on on how those people are saved. Whether God reveals himself through creation, because it always takes faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, no one can please God. But he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. He reveals himself in dreams. And sometimes he sends someone like you to let someone else know that they have hope in Jesus Christ. So however God chooses to do it, some people ask me, they say, well, what about the people who, you know, they, they, they heard about Jesus Christ, but they just they don't want to have God in their lives. You know Where do they go? And, and of course, clearly, if somebody chooses not to want God in their lives, God will honor that too. If they want to not have God for all of eternity, he's going to honor that too. But he still did die for every single person. Jesus will still reveal Himself, but the, but the, the most promising thing and, and the most assuring thing is whatever you believe, Jesus still wins. Whatever you believe, whatever religion you chase after, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not, believe in Jesus or not, He's still going to win. It's, it's just, it's, his track record is proven. So if, you, if you're running away from Jesus, that means you have enough energy, foresight, or, or, or thought processing, as well as insight to run toward him. It takes more effort not to believe in Jesus Christ than it does to follow him. And those who truly follow Jesus understand that we're more free than we've ever been by following Jesus Christ. He is the hope that we have. See, every generation, when when John writes this, now, we're, we're thousands of years later. When John writes this, we're about 2,000 years later. When John writes this, He was in a generation that truly believed that Jesus was going to return. Every generation after Jesus died on the cross truly believed that he was coming back. So every generation had the urgency of him coming back. Our generation needs to have that urgency also for Christ's return. In Luke 21, verses 7 and 8, the disciples asked Jesus this question. They said, teacher, when will these things happen? Like all the all the things that you're telling us about the end times and, and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, tell us when these things are gonna happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place. In other words, they want to be ready. They don't just want to be, you know, uh, wasting time. They want to be ready for his return and all of these things that are gonna take place. And then Jesus replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. So he gives them the clear picture of what they need to hear. When are, when are these things going to take place? First of all, watch out that you are not deceived. I, this, this much we know. There is a lot of deception happening in our world. Constantly. That's why Jesus said, do not be deceived. Watch out. You got to be aware. You got to be ready for that. Be ready so you're not deceived. And be ready to not be deceived. So, so in other words, stay in tune with me, stay close to me. Not so that you become this isolated person that is, that is no longer reaching out to people or you cannot live in this world, but, the, but that you're being careful and cautious that you're not deceived because many are going to come in my name claiming that I am he. Time is near. Do not follow them. So here's what we do. I just want to give you one thing tonight. And here it is. Stay faithful to the end. To the end of what? The end of whatever. End of your life. End of the world. Uh, the end of God's story with us here on this earth. Whatever the end is, just stay faithful. Here's how Revelation 21 one puts it. This is the vision that he wants to give us and wants us to see. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I'm like, John, why are you putting the ocean? Like, why you gotta give us surfers and fishermen uh, like a bummer? What do you mean there's no more sea? Now, John was on the island of Patmos, right? The Mediterranean Sea. He's excluded or, or, or exiled and, and distanced from all of his loved ones. He's never going to see them again. And the thing that separates him from hope and the possibility of seeing his loved ones is this sea, this body of water. It could possibly be that John is just saying, you know, in heaven, we're no longer distant from our loved ones. Nothing at all will be able to be between any one of us. There is no sea. There's no more prison. There's no more lockdown. We're free because of the blood of the Lamb. And we were able to overcome because of our testimony. There's no more of that. Now, if there is no ocean, then God has a better plan. I get that. But it's just a thought of what John was going through. See, you and I are the church or the bride of Christ as the the book of Revelation says it, the bride of the Lamb. He wants us to partner with him, being made in his image so that by the time we get to heaven, we can live how he wants us to live, Imagine all the great things that have been done, all the great inventions that have been made on this earth with flawed people and people who make mistakes and technology that doesn't always work well. Imagine the wonderful things that have been created in an imperfect world. The greatest of all inventions. The things that nobody thought were possible. Going to the moon, traveling at the speed of sound or past the speed of sound. I was going to say, traveling at the speed of light. No, I think that might be somebody like Flash. All of these great inventions, the the gadgets that we use, technology that we use, that we don't even understand how it works. Created by human beings that are made in the image of God in an imperfect world. Imagine what God can do through every single one of us in a perfect world. Talk about possibilities. Talk about this relationship that we have with God that He's cheering us on when, we, when we're creative like Him. That one day when we get to that new place, as the Bible says, new heaven, new earth, whatever that looks like, because there are also different you know, theories on that. To me, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what a new heaven or a new earth would be like, or the, the you know theory behind all of that, or what other what, you know different perspectives. All I know is wherever Jesus is, wherever God is, that's where I want to be. Uh, whatever whatever it's called, I, that to me is inconsequential, irrelevant. I just want to be where Jesus is. That's why Revelation 21:5 gives us this hope. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I make all things new. I make. I fashion. I put these things together. All things. Everyone and everything all together. I form it. it, I've made it. It's fresh. It's recent. It's unused. Unworn of a new kind. That's what this word new means. Unprecedented. Novel. Uncommon. Unheard of. That's what new means. So when we look at this word new, this is who we become. We, we, we're now, as, as the Bible says, we're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things are new. But he also says, behold, I make all things new. Notice he didn't say I make new things. I make all things new. Every one and everything, I can make new again. So, 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 one day we, we, when we when we're in, in heaven, we we might we're we're gonna see each other. Absolutely. So, what about what about the things we've done on this earth, or, or or things that have been done to me, that when I get there, am I gonna be ashamed of that? Because now everybody's gonna know about me. What what, what happens then? No, no, no. I make all things new. So when we get there and people are going to say, did you, see, did you see so-and-so? And you can even fill in your name. Did you see this person? Yeah, I did. Yeah, they're different. Yeah, on earth they, they, they were hopeless and they, 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 they felt devalued. Or someone took advantage of them. Someone used them. Is that the same person? No, no. It's just, they're no longer that. Because God made all things new. That's not their identity. It's not who they are. Hey, did you meet so-and-so? Yep, they're completely different. Speaking to her was unbelievable, so inspiring. The way that they're living now, unheard of. Unprecedented. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? They they're here, they're in heaven. Yeah, they may not have done so much on the earth, but look at what they're doing now. Look at him. He's he's of a new kind. No longer how he was on earth, struggling. Hey, wasn't wasn't she teased? Wasn't this one like ridiculed almost her entire life? And things were said about her that were negative? Is that not the same girl? Oh no. She's no longer worn out. Not anymore. Look at her. She's bold, she's brave, she's strong, she's unworn. That's what new means. Jesus doesn't make new things. He makes all things new because he's the king of redemption. He's the restorer. He revitalizes. He brings us to the place where he is. So why doesn't doesn't he make new things in his kingdom to come? Why does not he just make new things? Well, Jesus said it well. He said, because the kingdom of God is already among you. It's already inside of you. All you need to do is live it out and just be the you he fashioned you to be. Be that person. You only have one life to live on this earth. We have all of eternity be that which jesus made us to be so there's hope i want to ask you a couple of questions first one is what can we do to stay faithful in doing what honors jesus or what do i need to stay faithful in doing that honors jesus second thing is if i've been following other things rather than jesus what changes do i need to make and then finally how will i live out the rest of my life because we only have one I want to pray with you as we conclude Heavenly Father we do thank you that you have given us your one and only son who has revealed himself to us who constantly does that so with a greater understanding of what this book is all about that is it is Jesus being revealed it's not a scary book it's not a a book that we we shun from but it's It's us having the joy of a Savior. So help us to stay faithful to the end. And we can only stay faithful because your words are trustworthy and faithful. So we thank you that we get to stay faithful to a God who sees from beginning to end. So thank you, Lord God, for being with us tonight. Thank you for revealing Jesus to us as we conclude going through the Bible and on this journey together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.